making you go up and down. Check, check, check. Okay. Okay, guys, we're going to talk about ascension because uh, ascension ha happens 40 days from Passover. And if you were to follow the Christian calendar, it would fall on Thursday. And then 50 days after that, you've got Pentecost. So we'll talk about that perhaps next week. But if you were to follow the Christian calendar, ascension would fall on Thursday. And so let's look at, I mean, it's a topic that's not talked about. Eh? We go from Good Friday to resurrection. But very rarely do we spend any time looking at ascension. And so uh, if you look at Luke 24:51 and Acts 1:9. Luke 24:51 and Acts 1:9. If you combine them, here's what it would look like. It says, "And he led them out as far as Bethany." This is Jesus. So Jesus led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. Now, when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. If you combine Luke 24:51. And Acts 1.9, this is kind of how it would read. And he led them out as far as Bethany. And he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And now when he had spoken these things, while they, his disciples, watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. Guys, crucifixion brings you out of death and bondage. So crucifixion brings you out of death and bondage. Crucifixion brings you out of death and bondage. Resurrection gives you new life, new name, new family. As in, you have the life of Christ. You are called a Christian. And uh, you have a new family called the people of God. Crucifixion breaks you out of death and bondage and sin. Resurrection gives you new life. And that's why when Christ rose, you rise. You are given new life. And then that's where we normally stop. But then there is ascension. Ascension locates you in a new home with the Father. We'll talk about that more. But ascension locates you in a new home. Ascension locates you in a new home. Are there parallels in the scripture? If you look at the book of Exodus... I mean, the whole book of Exodus is first deliverance from bondage. In Exodus, what's the first thing that happens? They have this Passover, and after Passover, they all leave Egypt. Egypt is always connected to bondage and death. They leave Egypt. So that's the first part. Then you come to the second part of the journey, which is going through the Red Sea to Mount Sinai to meet God. Going through the Red Sea to Mount Sinai to meet God. And that is where a slave people begin to receive a new name. They're not a slave people anymore. They are back to being sons of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They get a new idea of God. El Shaddai now becomes Yahweh. And they are now a new family, a nation drawn out of Egypt to show the rest of the world what God is like. But even that isn't the complete picture. You have to take it to the third stage, which is like ascension. It's a parallel. 
where they arrive at a land called Canaan, which is the promised land. Their journey is not complete. If they go through the Red Sea and go to Mount Sinai and then say, great, lovely mountain, let's retire here. No, there was a promised land that they were supposed to go to. Ascension is location in a home that is yours from the beginning. Exodus shows us that. And that is where they were supposed to go. However, they delayed it 40 years by unbelief. They could have gotten there in 15, year, 15 days. They took 40 years. It's very possible for us to study this and have the same attitude. Yeah, all this was good. It's nice theology, but delayed by 40 years. Why? Because some of us may live another 40 years before we get there. But what if we took this as reality today? I mean, imagine me being like an orphan boy um, in India, uh, dying. And along come Anne and Elmer, who are visiting India. And so the first thing they do is they want this Jacob as their son. And so they decide that uh, they want to pay whoever is in charge to adopt him. But it's a hefty payment. So they mortgage their home. They go to Chantal and her husband David and they say, can we mortgage your home too? And David says yes. And they sell both their homes, collect a huge amount of money and pay it to the person who's in charge of the orphanage. Now I'm released. That's just crucifixion. Now they start doing the papers of adoption. They give me a new name. They call me Jacob Mebs, which is better than, which is slightly better than my last name. And uh, um, all that is done, eh? All the paperwork is done. New life, new name, uh, new hope. But that ain't enough, because now they're flying back to Vancouver, and I'm still in India. And so they decide, we've got to change this. We can't have this long-distance adoption. So they decide, we'll get him an... Canadian passport. And guess what? They bring me to Canada. And you guys are all at the airport waiting to see this new amazing kid. And there I come. <laughs> see, that is the ascension part where you're located in God's home. And we talk about that. It's fascinating what ascension does. In Ezekiel 16, uh, verse 1 to 14, you, th there's this beautiful story. We rarely read Ezekiel. So let me read the whole thing. It's quite something. God's heart towards us, and in this case, towards Israel. Ezekiel 16, it's an allegory of unfaithful Jerusalem. So let me read it from the beginning. Ezekiel 16, 1 to 14. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, confront Jerusalem with her detestable practices and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says to Jerusalem. Now, st uh, listen to it from here on. Your ancestry and birth were in the land of the Canaanite. Your father was a... Uh, Amorite and your mother a Hittite meaning uh, your birth was insignificant pagan on the day you were born your cord was not cut nor were you washed with water to make you clean nor were you rubbed with salt or wrapped in cloths no one looked on you with pity or had compassion enough to do any of these things for you rather you were thrown out into the open field for on the day you were born you were despised then look at what God says eh then I passed by and I saw you kicking about in your blood. And as you lay there in your blood, I said to you, live. I made you grow like a plant of the field. You grew up and developed and became the most beautiful of jewels. Your breasts were formed and your hair grew and you who were naked and bare. Later I passed by and when I looked at you and saw that you were old enough for love, 
I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I gave you my solemn oath and entered into a covenant with you, declares the sovereign Lord, and you became mine. I bathed you with water and washed the blood from you and put ointments on you. I clothed you with an embroidered dress and put leather sandals on you. I dressed you in fine linen and covered you with costly garments. I adorned you with jewelry. I put bracelets on your arm and a necklace around your neck and I put a ring on your nose, earrings on your ears and a beautiful crown on your head. So you were adorned with gold and silver. Your clothes were of fine linen and costly fabric and embroidered clothes. Your food was fine and flour and your food was fine flour, honey and olive oil. You became very beautiful and rose to be a queen. And your fame spread among the nations on account of your beauty. Because the splendor I had given you made your beauty perfect, declares the sovereign Lord. What a beautiful picture, man. Ascension completes this. It's one thing to give you new life. It's another thing to make sure that you're adorned and ready in his place of dwelling. This is why in Colossians 3, verse 1, it says, Colossians 3, 1, it says, If then you were raised with Christ, set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Let me say that again. This is what, uh, I mean, if, if there's anything, this is what God is commanding us today. Even right now, eh? he's saying, hey, Acts 29, if you were raised with Christ, then seek, as in actively, diligently search, not for the sake of finding, but search for the sake of appropriating. When we say search, we look to find. When search and rescue people search, they look to find and retrieve. And he's saying here, Seek those things which are above where Christ is. And where is Christ? Sitting at the right hand of God. And then in verse 3 it says, For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Which means, wherever Christ is, there I am. Which we'll talk about a little more. Any questions before we go on? Any questions? Okay, so the first thing ascension does, guys, is ascension puts me, ascension puts me in the presence of the Father. If Jesus Christ hadn't ascended, then I would have new life, but I wouldn't be in the presence of the Father. Big difference, guys. It would be like Elmer and Anne adopting me, but I'm in India. I never get to know what the Meb's household or the Meb's name actually looks like. I carry the name, but I don't know its character. I'm an orphan with a family, but I'm still an orphan. Ascension brings me... Hey, Heidi. Gina's here. Hey, Gina. Good to see you. Um... Ascension brings me into the presence of the Father. Look at Acts 1.9. Acts 1.9. Acts 1.9. Acts 1.9 says that, um, where is it? After he said this, he was taken up from before their eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. A cloud hid him from their sight. So, now that Christ is, and go on to verse 10. 
They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Is there anywhere in the Bible where someone was taken up into the clouds? Elijah went in a whirlwind. Enoch, we don't know how or what happened. Someone who disappeared into a cloud. Moses. Exodus 24. Exodus 24 verse 15 actually says it. It says when Moses went up to the mountain, when Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it. This is in Mount Sinai. In Exodus 24, when Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it. And so what was Moses doing there? Moses was ascending the mountain on behalf of God's people. Guys, remember this. Here is Israel. God descends on Mount Sinai. Israel doesn't want to go near him. So what do they say? They say, Moses, you go. And so Moses becomes a mediator. And so Moses goes on the mountain and the cloud covers him. And he goes before God on behalf of Israel. Change the scene now. Forward about 3,000 years. And what do we have? We have Jesus a mediator who goes up and the clouds cover him. And what is he doing? He's going before God on behalf of who? Not on behalf of Israel, on behalf of all mankind. Before whom? Before God. Guys, when you look at the New Testament and the Old Testament, you'll find that everything in the Old Testament was meant to point you towards what Christ would later do. And so just as Moses goes up, and is hidden by a cloud. Here Jesus ascends on man's behalf to come before God, where is hidden by the cloud. Look at Hebrews 9.24. Hebrews 9.24. Hebrews 9.24. And it says there, For Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. I love that. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Hey guys, here's the line I want you to remember. My presence before God is as certain my presence before God is as certain as Christ's presence before God. My presence before God is as certain as Christ's presence before God. You must understand where you are constantly located. This is why we keep singing songs which say, I will, I mean, I mean, there are statements we made where we are ever present before God. You, you can be as certain of your presence before the Father as you can be of Christ's presence before the Father. We know Christ is risen. We know Christ has entered heaven. We know Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. We know that he beholds the Father 24-7. In which case, I want us to know without a shadow of a doubt that 24-7, regardless of where you are at in life, if you have received Christ into your life, you are ever present before the God of the universe and you can be as certain as your presence before God as Christ's presence before God. You don't know what that can do to you guys. When you're feeling down, when you're feeling lousy, when things are not going well, when you have aches and pains in your body, when your mind is confused, when people have done you harm, when all that happens, you know one thing remains. 
and is constant, that I am ever present before the God of the universe. This is my condition because this is Jesus' condition. The only time you will cease to be in the presence of God is when Christ is not in the presence of God. And guess what? It ain't happening. Do you know that the next time God, Jesus Christ steps out of heaven, and he will, because it says Jesus Christ will return. Do you know that the next time he steps out of heaven and leaves the presence of God, that he's bringing heaven with him? Even then, he will be before the Father. He is never going to leave the presence of God. Which means for the rest of your life, if you have received Christ, you are never going to leave, even for a microsecond, the presence of God, if you have received Christ into your life. Think of that, guys. Ever present. Mm-hmm. I just marvel at this man. That for the rest of my life, Jacob is actually, yeah, sure, Jacob is walking the earth here in Vancouver. But Jacob, doesn't matter when he's flying, where he's going, which country, how bad things get, how good things get. One thing remains. Jacob will always be present before the Father because Jesus Christ is always present before the Father. It is as true as if you think you are saved, why are you saved? Because Jesus Christ died, your sins were paid for, and you died with him. If that is true, then let's take it to the next change. Why do you have new life? Because Jesus Christ rose again. He has life, therefore you have new life. Then let's take it to the third stage. If Christ is now seated in the heavenlies, the Bible says you have been raised up with him and you are ever present before the Father. Guys, you think, you know the Old Testament was a poor example. The Old Testament was like, um, remember iPhone 3? That was the Old Testament. It was this, I, I mean, when the iPhone 3 came up, everybody was very excited. I mean, you could show stuff and all, but now when you look at the iPhone 3, you can't sell it, man. You have to put $20 with it and nobody takes it. They take the $20. So the point being, the Old Testament is like the iPhone 3. And yet, look at what happened in uh, the Old Testament, man. Look at uh, Exodus 24, 9 to 11. Exodus 24, 9 to 11. If this happened in the Old Testament, you think this is not our present reality before God, where we are ever present before him? Exodus 24, 9 to 11. Here's what it says. This happened to actual physical people. Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel went up and they saw the God of Israel. Under his feet was something like a pavement made of sapphire, clear as the sky itself. But God did not raise his hand against these leaders of the Israelites. They saw God and they ate and they drank with him. In the Old Testament. Hey guys, begin to, in your times of prayer, in your times of worship, understand that you are not worshipping someone who is far away. You're worshipping someone who is in you and you're worshipping someone in whom you are. Ever present before God. This is why in Ephesians 2.5, no, in Ephesians 1.3, in Ephesians 1.3, here's what it says. You are blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus in the heavenlies. You are blessed 
with every spiritual blessing in Christ in the heavenlies. How? Because you're ever present before the Father. Guys, understand this. It may take time, but once we grasp it, you will begin to take things out of your bank like you, I mean, you will begin to take things out of heaven like you take money out of the bank. All the benefits of heaven and all the spiritual blessings that the Father has are yours for the taking because you are ever present before him. When I go to my sister's place, she'll uh, stock the cupboards with uh, junk food and stuff because they normally don't eat junk. And so when I come, they make sure everything is there. And uh, I'll get up late and I'll come down and everything is spread out, eh? Everything is spread out. This is how God does things, man. He says, listen, you are ever present before me. I know what is good for you. But begin to ask me. Begin to take from me. Begin to take from me. The saddest thing is when children do not take advantage of their parents. When they behave like servants. Or they don't know what their rights are. That's what happens to orphans. Orphans go into a house and they don't know what is theirs because they are scared. When in the orphanage, when they would take something, you would have a slap. It happened to, happened to Oliver Twist, who is, by the way, fictional. And it's different when you get adopted. Any questions before we go on? Remember in John 16, this is what Jesus said to um, the uh, disciples. He said, hey, guys, once I go um, away, I don't want you to worry about asking me. Don't even ask in my name. Just ask the Father directly. Because I'm going to the Father. Once I've risen and I'm with the Father, don't even bother asking in my name. Just ask directly. Because everything that the Father has in heaven is yours. So what do you want? What spiritual blessings? What physical blessings do you want? Healing? You think heaven doesn't have that? Provision? You think heaven doesn't have that? You think the jobs we heard about today, six or seven jobs, you think it came out of your employer? Who commands the universe? Who decides to feed every sparrow every day? Who decides which leaf will fall off the tree? Who decides that the fingerprints of every boy or girl born today will be different? Who decides that we will breathe? Who decides that the heart should beat? Who decides that the sun will go down at 6.14 today? Who decides it will come up at 5.13 tomorrow? Who decides how much rain Vancouver should get? Who even decides that I should learn how to speak? Who gives me vocal cords? What is it that God does not command and control? And if so, this God is your father and you are ever present before him. You are as certainly present before him as Christ is present before him. Guys, if we begin to think like this, no, we will begin to take of what the father has for us. And there will be times when he will say, not yet, Jacob, and that's fine with me. But what a pathetic life I will live if I don't explore and exploit the father. And I meant that word, exploit. My dad used to love it when I would take things from his wallet with his knowing. Any questions? Okay. So ascension declares, puts me in the presence of God. The next thing ascension does is ascension declared that Jesus Christ is Lord. Ascension declared 
that Christ is Lord. Ascension declared that Christ is Lord. Ascension declared that Christ, that Jesus is Lord. The word Lord comes from a Greek word, Kyrios, which means absolute sovereign tyrant. It carries the sense of, of being a tyrannical absolute ruler. The only difference is Jesus is super benevolent. But it, it talks about being Lord and Master. So what do you mean Christ became Lord and Master through a Mark, 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 Mark. Oh, this is being taped, so it'll come up. Mark. Don't worry, Wayne. As long as it's being recorded, it's fine. All those sounds will add to the... Yeah. Okay, Mark 16, 19. Just follow me with these, through these verses, eh? Mark 16, 19. So here's what happens in Mark 16, 19. In Mark 16, 19, it says, And after the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven, and he sat at the right hand of God. Go to Philippians 2, 9. Philippians 2, 9. Philippians 2, 9. Philippians 2, 9. Here's what it says. Let's start at verse 8. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. And look what God did. He gave Jesus the name that is above every name. This is the whole idea of being Lord and Master. He gave Jesus the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus, hey, whether people like it or not, today or tomorrow, this will happen. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth. Thanks, Wayne. And under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's look at another verse. Ephesians 1.20. Ephesians 1.20. I love how Ephesians 1.20 is written in the message. Look at, look at what it says in the message. Eh? Ephesians 1.20. Here's what it says. God raised Jesus from death and set him on a throne in deep heaven in charge of running the universe, everything from galaxies to governments, no name and no power exempt from his rule, and not just for the time being, but forever. You're talking about someone who's absolute Lord, man. Nobody behind him, nobody beside him. Let's look at another one. Hebrews 2.9. Hebrews 2.9. I so enjoyed these scriptures earlier today, when I was going through them. Hebrews 2.9. Here's what it says. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor, because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he may taste death for everyone. And then it goes on to say, where is it? Um, In bringing many sons to glory, verse 10, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make him the author of their salvation, perfect through suffering. I was expecting something else. I don't know where I lost that verse. Anyways, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's in verse 8. 
in putting everything under him. Ah, I love this. In putting everything under Jesus, God left nothing that is not subject to him. Next one. 1 Peter 3.20. 1 Peter 3.20. 1 Peter 3.20. And then we'll go back to... Where is Peter? We don't have a Peter in church, right? 1 Peter 3.20. The second part of it. Um, Should be 1 Peter 3.20. Yeah, uh, uh, 3, 21 and a half and 22. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Verse 22. Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities and powers in submission to him. Guys, look at it this way. There is no power that exists here on earth that exists except through Jesus' permission And all the powers that exist, every name that exists, every demonic force that exists, every false god that exists, everything gives him fawning, um, what's the right word? Gives him, is fawningly subservient to him. If, If Gisela is the master of everything, we will fawningly come and be subservient before her. We won't even lift up our heads. Eddie always talks about chieftains in South Africa. When you go to meet a chieftain in South Africa, Eddie did this. Eddie had to go with a couple of people to meet the Zulu chief. And when he went to the, meet the Zulu chief, you had to make sure that you did not, did not look at him. Initially, for the first little while, you had to go backward. And then you keep your eyes down. You're not supposed to look at him. This is a Zulu chieftain, very human in South Africa. Why? Because it shows your absolute subservience to the monarch. We're not talking about a Zulu chieftain. We're talking about someone who runs the galaxies, who runs governments, who has got a name that is above every name. There is no power that exists except his. This is why during times of worship, guys, explode in worship. You don't need to feel anything. You need to acknowledge it in our hearts and in our minds. Acknowledge it in your heart, process it in your minds, and worship him. If a Zulu chieftain demands that I do not look at him, this God is very different. He says, I am absolute sovereign, but sure, look at my face, because you're mine. But come on, we've got to do better than what we sometimes do, guys. And the beautiful thing is, this, this Jesus Christ who is now Lord, because he's defeated everything and he's ascended, this Jesus Christ is Lord for the church. Not of the church, he is, but for the church. This Jesus Christ is Lord for the church. It would be like, let's assume, I'm just going to pick on you, Lorian. Let's assume that um, Lorian is the head of uh, Vancouver Airport. And... Uh, I um, lost my tickets and I'm at the airport and I've got a few minutes before my flight leaves. Now, she is lord of the airport. But guess what? Because she knows me, she becomes lord of the airport for me and she prints me an extra ticket, hurries me through the baggage, gets security to clear me properly and gets me on the plane in time. 
The point being, Jesus Christ, who has all this power, is Lord for the church. Which is why I stand here with absolute confidence saying, there is nobody in this church that needs to be sick, that needs to be demonized, that needs to be uh, impoverished, that needs to be depressed, that needs to be sad, that needs to be resigned, that needs to be defeated. Nobody in this church. Not because Jacob can do squat. But because Christ, who is the supreme head of the galaxies and the universe, is absolute Lord for Acts 29. Yeah, man. And it is, in, it is his intent to help. Which is why it doesn't matter what our problems are. There is someone in this church who can help. I'm screaming my lungs out, not because I want you to hear. Because I can't understand this man. This is just magnificent. So what if we got the fifth pick in the... Um, draft yesterday. Things will get better. Oh, you Don't worry about that one. <laughs> How could the Canucks do that, eh? I mean, you were third pick and then you, in the lottery you lose and you go to the fifth pick. Let's get back to more important things. I couldn't believe that. You should have seen Trevor Linden's face. His lower lip was quivering, man. I felt bad for him. But let's get back here. Hey, Daniel talked about this Lord in Daniel 7, 13 to 14. Look at it. It's so beautiful. I just love how uh, scripture just weaves itself in and out so beautifully. Daniel 7, 13 to 14. Daniel 7, 13 to 14. And Winnipeg got the second pick. Daniel 7, 13 to 14. Oh, it doesn't bother me at all, but it might come up a few times. Daniel 7, 13 to 14. Okay, here goes. Daniel seeing a vision. In my vision at night, I looked. Isn't this working? In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. Aha, there we see it again. He approached the Ancient of Days. And was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory and sovereign power. All peoples, nations and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Wow. Brilliant guys. Don't get tired guys. Scriptures don't make you tired. Stay. Next one. Ascension. Promises his return. Ascension promises his return. What do you mean? Acts 1 verses 10 and 11. So these disciples are watching. They must have been fascinated. eh? One moment Jesus is with them and he's talking to them. And uh, the next moment Jesus raises his hand and he blesses them. And the next moment they see him lifting off. No smoke, no mirrors, no nothing. Just going straight up. And they're watching him go. (laughs) And as he disappears, a cloud comes and covers, so they can't see it anymore. And just when they're thinking, okay, what happens next? You've got these two angels. I mean, this is amazing that the Bible even dares to share stories like this. You've got these two angels who appear, and they say, hey, Jillian, what are you looking up for? Because the very one who went up and was covered by a cloud 
will return the same way from the clouds. Ascension promises a return. Jesus Christ is coming back and he is coming back physically. In a body. He is coming back. John 14 verse 1 and 2. I am going to my father to prepare a place for you. And if I am going to prepare a place for you, know that I will come back. John 14 verse 24. He, uh, John 17 verse 24. He's praying to the Father. Jesus' priestly prayer in John 17. And what does he say? Hey Father, these ones that you've given me, can you make sure that um, they see my glory? And could you make sure that Rachel and Matt will be with me where I am? What a brilliant plan he has for us, man. Christianity is so much more than Sundays. Oh, so now you're getting picky, huh? Next one. Ascension. Yes, someone cares. Thank you, Gisela. I'm just preparing for India next week. I believe it's 45 degrees. So I'm getting used to the whole sweat thing right now. Yeah. Ascension relocated. This is, this is another one. We talked about this as a young adults. Ascension relocated paradise to heaven. Ascension relocated paradise to heaven. Ascension relocated paradise to heaven. What do you mean? Guys, when before Jesus Christ died, if any believer died, anyone who believed in God, anyone who practiced the law, anyone who was righteous, if they died, guess where they would go? They would go to this place called paradise. No one would ever go to heaven. How do we know that? Luke 23 verse, verse what? Luke 23 verse 43. It, what did Jesus say to the thief on his right side? Today you will be with me in heaven. No, today you will be with me in paradise. So nobody could enter heaven before Christ died because nobody's sins were paid for. But there were believers who died. There were righteous people who died. So what would happen to them? They would go to this place called paradise. But when Christ rose, now that he had justified everybody who had believed in him. When their sins were paid for, the Bible says he took captivity captive. And he literally... So, where do you think Abraham was? Where do you think Moses was? Where do you think David was? Where do you think Samuel was? Where do you think Joseph was when they died? All of them were in paradise. They couldn't enter heaven because regardless of how righteous they were, man, their righteousness was like filthy garments. Once Christ died, they were justified and now paradise was located in heaven. Where do we go when we die? As believers, if you die, what does Paul say in 1 Corinthians 5.8? He says, to be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. Because this tent that I am in is groaning and I want to be unclothed so that I might be clothed with something new. That's what it says. Absent in the body, present with the Lord. If, you, if I die tonight, I ain't going to paradise. I'm going straight to heaven. Ascension relocated Paradise to heaven. Otherwise, they'd all be still there. 
Yep. Yep. Two more and we are done. For those who are thinking, when will this be done? Which none of you are thinking except perhaps Don. So I'll do, I'm just letting Don know. The ascended Jesus, the ascended Jesus is king, priest, and man. The ascended Jesus is king, priest, and man. And he's still at work. This is nuts. The ascended Jesus is king, priest, and man. He is the king of kings. He is the high priest of our faith interceding for us. And he is man. That sounds so odd. We'll study that over the next few weeks. But I'll give you three verses which just begin to show you a glimpse. And then we'll... Remember we started a series called King Priest. And so we'll revisit that in two weeks and continue talking about Jesus as king, priest, and man. Look at Luke 9.35. Luke 9.35. Here is another place where the cloud thing happened uh, before Jesus rose. Luke 9.35. Luke 9.35. Let's start at verse uh, 29, uh, 28. Luke 9.28 to 35. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in the glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, as in his death, when he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they came fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, as the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. Verse 34, while he was still speaking, and again you see this whole cloud thing. While he was still speaking, a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. Guys, this verse that was, came out of the cloud is a verse that any Jew would have recognized as a verse that is always spoken over a king when he is being crowned. Go to Psalm 2. Psalm 2. Psalm 2. This verse was always spoken. When Solomon was crowned, it was spoken. When David was crowned, it was spoken. Whenever a king was installed, this verse would be spoken. So for the disciples or for any Jew to hear this verse was a declaration of the kingship of Jesus. Look at what it says in Psalm 2 verses 6 and 7. It says there, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. What is happening here is a declaration of Christ's kingship. Let's look at another verse that talks about his priesthood. Hebrews 4.14. Hebrews 4.14. Hebrews 4.14. Hebrews 4.14. Man, when I listen to the tape, sometimes I think to myself, I repeat these verses so many times. Hebrews 4.14. There I go again. Hebrews 4.14. Oh, shucks, again. So here goes. 
I got to say it one more time. Hebrews 4.14. Okay. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Some other scriptures, some other versions say, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Guys, understand this. When he ascended, he isn't sitting there with his feet up. He may be, but... He ascended there to be our high priest forever. Jesus is our high priest forever. And you will find out in the coming weeks how important that is to your existence here on earth. Jesus is our high priest forever. Ever interceding. Ever before the Father. We'll talk about that another time. And the last one is Jesus Christ is forever man. Which is a scary thought. You might think, so what? Is, is he 5 foot 8, 5 foot 9? That's not the point. We'll talk about that too. But not today. And he's not, we're not talking about physical stature, guys. But he is forever man. 1 Timothy 2, 5. 1 Timothy 2, 5. I mean, that's just one of the scriptures. There are at least six or seven others. 1 Timothy 2, 5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man. Who? The man Christ Jesus. Look at that, man. It's in the scriptures. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man. That's like saying, there is only one cure for cancer and I have it. There is no other name by which man can be saved. No Allah, no Buddha, no whatever. Nothing can save you, man. Because there is only one mediator between God and man. No Pope can save you for sure. There is only one mediator between God and man. And it says, who? The man Jesus Christ. Odd, eh? He forever will be man. Now we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that in the weeks to come. A fascinating thing happened, man, when he decided to take on a body and come down here. Fascinating thing happened. I mean, just, just go look at that scripture. It was in Hebrews 2. Just go to Hebrews 2 for a second. You'll see a bit of it. Hebrews 2.14. And then we'll go to the last um, point. Hebrews 2.14. Look at what it says. Since the children have flesh, flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. For surely it's not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers, meaning me and you, in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And then it goes on to talk about how he is forever a high priest. I will deal with that two weeks from now. The last point, which is where we'll finish today and start next week. The last point is ascension. Ascension released. Ascension released the Holy Spirit 
on God's people. Ascension released the Holy Spirit on God's people. Ascension released the Holy Spirit on God's people. Go to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 33. Acts 2, verse 33. Acts chapter 2, verse 33. Um, let's start at verse 32. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and has poured out what you now see and hear. And has poured out what you now see and hear. Go to John 16. Sorry, John, John 14, verse 28. John 14, verse 28. John 14, 28. Here's what it says. You have heard me say, I'm going away, and I'm coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I've told you now before this happens, um, so that when it does, you will believe. I will not speak with you much longer, for the prince of the world is coming. He has no hold on me, but the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father commanded me to. Uh, Verse 25. And all this I have spoken while still with you, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. The point being, guys, that... Jesus had to go to the Father so that the Father could send the Holy Spirit. And uh, we'll talk about that next week because next week we'll next week is in a way Pentecost Sunday. Um, it's Pentecost falls on May 11th, which is uh, a Wednesday. So next week we'll talk about uh, the Holy, the coming of the Holy Spirit. So I'd really encourage you next Sunday when you come. Uh, what time is the service, Jeevan? 10.20, yeah. Uh, so uh, when you come 10.20 next Sunday, come with your hearts prepared to yield to the Spirit of God. Does the Spirit live in you fully? Absolutely. Are you fully yielded to Him? No. How do you know, Jacob? Because I'm not either. So I would suggest to you that when you come next Sunday, come saying, Father, uh, I know you live in me fully by your Spirit, but could you... Could you over this week begin to prepare my heart to be yielded so that the Spirit of God may begin to um, affect me in a way that I've never been affected before. Never been affected before. Whatever you want to do with me in terms of a change of character, a change of nature, a change of the way of thinking, a change of the way of operating on this earth from this day on, in terms of gifts of the Holy Spirit that you want to give, in terms of Places that you want me to go in the power of the Holy Spirit. Could you bring about such a radical transformation in my life as I prepare this week to yield myself? What is yielding then? How do you prepare yourself to yield? It is a decisive moment by moment 
walk, where you decide, Father, I do not want this, I want this. It's a yielding. Yielding always is a decision. More than anything else, it's a decision. Worship is an expression that may happen after yielding. But yielding is a decision. May our stubbornness not stand in the way. May your traditions not stand in the way. May your knowledge of what you know till now not stand in the way. May your moods and feelings not stand in the way. May what your fathers and your pastors taught you not stand in the way. May your culture not stand in the way. May your gender not stand in the way. May your own thoughts of whether you're holy or not holy not stand in the way because you are ever present before the Father and Jesus Christ is the most powerful, universal, sovereign head of everything and he can do what he wants. But decide. Make a decision as you come next week that I come to be yielded, to be transformed, to be changed, not by words that Jacob speaks or that anybody else does, but by a sheer work of the spirit of the living God. Yieldedness is always met, always met, always met by God. Always met. He never turns yieldedness away. What will happen to you then? You will look more, than, more like Jesus. That's what yieldedness does. Yieldedness makes you look more like Jesus. If this is all that you are yielded, then this is all that will be wet. If this is how you are yielded, that is how you will look. It's a very simple thing, guys, but it's a decision. It's a decision. And I challenge you, I want this badly for myself. But I'd hate it if it was only the experience of a few. I want it for us, man. Everything God does, He does as a people. So Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I just thank you for, for, for these marvelous scriptures that, that show us how much happened because Jesus Christ ascended. In Ephesians 1, it says towards the end, towards verse 18 and 19, that your great power raised him from the dead and then exalted him to the highest place. Father, would you please make us, make me consciously aware of a need to yield more so that I may decrease and you may radically in giant steps increase. Not, not incremental steps, no. It doesn't have to wait till Sunday, but on Sunday we'll gather together. And we'll open our hearts and our lives and say, Holy Spirit, possess what is rightfully yours and that has been paid for by Christ. I do ask this for all of us seated here. Father, You deserve this. This is duly yours. You deserve this. You have bought us. We dare not hold ourselves back because of our stupid ideas, Father. And I deliberately use the word stupid because it is stupid. You must have more of us. We belong to you. You paid the price. Please have your way. 
please have you. I'm just angry at my own stubbornness. And so we ask, Abba, granted I pray. Father, so I bless this church, Abba. I bless this church. I thank you that they listen to hear. Or they, yeah, whatever, Father. You understand what I mean. They listen to hear and grasp. And I bless them. I just bless them. I just bless them. Anything else you want to do before we leave, Father? 